Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just, yeah, what did you, what did you have for breakfast? It was kind of stuck. I'm all nervous now. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was um, steamed, no, no, sort of stewed peppers in tomatoes with poached eggs in, and then sort of paprika stuff. It was amazing. Fresh bread. Mm. Sounds, that sounds like the best thing it was amazing. in all fringe. It was amazing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to try, try and get, I was talking to her last night, I'm going to try and get her to somehow come up and do like a pop up vegetarian food thing. A really healthy, good food. Cause that's, that's why I always. I always just eat crap on a minute. It'd be nice if you actually knew somebody you could go to get to get really decent big portions of nice healthy food. Hello, my name's Simon Kane and welcome to the Ask Your Industry Podcast, episode thirty-one. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, the live circuit. Darren Martin is the founder and main operator of the chain of clubs known as Just a Tonic. He also operates at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and at the Leicester Comedy Festival and a couple of others. And and I got him on to talk about how the festivals operate, how his clubs operate, how the progression ladders work, all that usual stuff that you can come to know and love from this podcast. I'm not going to say too much more. I'm going to keep this very, very brief. Um, if you are enjoying the show... Please do rate it in iTunes. We're up to 34 reviews. I'd love to get it over 40. Please take one minute, just give it a star rating or an honest review if you have time. Also, if you have a little bit of spare change, please do donate. This show runs on donations, so if you have a couple of quid spare, you can do that via PayPal on the website or you can become a patron. Uh, Patrons basically pledge to donate a certain amount per episode and then they get charged at the end of the month. The minimum you can give is a dollar. That's about 80p. So if you can spare 80p for one and a half hours worth of content every 10 days, that'd be amazing. Uh, It will cost you about £2.40 in total each month. It's not that much, and it really, really does help keep the project going. I think we need 49 more $1 pledges to get us to the... uh, to the next target of that so if you can do that that'd be great if you can donate more than a dollar that's even better i'm not going to cap you at that amount go go nuts um that'd be great um also there's loads of perks for patrons like emails ahead of time and and uh, emails ahead of time and reserved seats at live pods and all kinds of stuff like that so uh please do consider doing that finally please do share this podcast with anyone you think will enjoy it so most of the listens for these episodes come from shares. If you feel like you know a comedian who would benefit from it, uh, either they're going to the Fringe, uh, the Edinburgh Fringe that is, or the Leicester Comedy Festival, or they're going to head to, uh, you know, they're going to try and get in with the, they're going to get in, they're going to try and get in with the chain of clubs that is known as Just a Tonic. This will probably really help them. So please do pass it on. It keeps the goodwill going. It keeps the circuit talking, and it's great. So, uh, so that'd be amazing. Without any more delays. This is Daryl Martin starting a vegan restaurant next year. I think that's important for. Yeah, I won't be starting one. I just 
go to someone in the kitchen if I can get one. <laughs> um, Have we started? Yeah, we've just, I've just oh. hit record. We're, we're, it's, <laughs> get, it's getting edited down, by the way. Oh, okay, it's it's right. not just every word you say. Okay. Um, well, I was going to, because the thing is, I did some Googling on you. Oh, yeah. And I found out something and I wondered if it was true. And I, I thought we could start here. So I, I read that you started Just a Tonic when you said you were, quote unquote, utterly unemployable. Yes. And uh, you found a gap in the market for a comedy club in Nottingham. Yeah, well, I left I left university in 91, I think, or 92. I was long-haired, smoking, drinking, raving, wally, basically. And uh, kind of, I'm not going to get a proper job. And then uh, after a few years, I think, I really need a proper job. And uh, But I'd been into comedy, and um, I'd moved to Nottingham, long story, theatre company, didn't work, stuck there. And, um, and uh, there was someone doing a comedy club there, but every time I found it, it was quite ad hoc. Every time I found it, it was kind of shut down and moved on somewhere else. And so I just decided to start one, and, and uh, that's kind of what happened. It's, it's a, it is a longer story if you want me to go into it in detail, but it's quite dull. I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was only asking because you said you were in comedy before you started the club. Uh, no, I, I was into comedy. I, I, oh. I used to watch it, and uh, I sort of, you know, I'm from the generation when the young ones were our were our thing at school, and and you go in and do impressions of all your mates and things. Like that. And I was also into Spike Milligan and Monty Python and. Um, when I was 17 or 18 I organised a coach load of people to go to see Ben Elton at the, the Apollo I suppose it is and um, I, was, I was always hunting out for it and uh, and then when I, was, when I was at University of Birmingham I was the only person to go to a comedy night so I got off my own to I think it was a I can't remember what it was it was somewhere but I, I, start, I started going there just after Frank Skinner had left his, re, his regular hosting and um, Alan Davis was, was the new host he was really new then and I can remember I think the first time I saw him, I was amazed at how funny he was. And then I went off to go down to the toilet and he was in the hallway. And he was ticking off his list of material. And I was so disappointed because I just thought he'd just made it all up. And I saw <laughs> that he probably practiced. I was like, no. Oh. But um, I, just, I was just into it. And then once I'd got started promoting the club, it was the first time I'd found anything that I actually enjoyed the, I enjoyed doing it. You know, So I was able, to, I've just found something that I loved and so I just clung onto it. And I, I'd, I'd wanted to stand up. I never had the bottle to do it. It's not one of those things that when you're sort of a, and you're a kid from a real piss-taking sort of working-class background to say to your friends, oh, I want to be a stand-up comedian, you just get the rip, piss ripped out of you. And uh, so I would never have done that. And there was no, there was no sort of, there's no career path of it then. There was, it wasn't a thing you thought you could do. So it's like now, I should think, it's, it's so big now, you go, oh, I could be a stand-up comedian. But it didn't seem, and even, you know, how'd you get into that? And it took me years to even get the bottle to get on the stage once I started a club, even though I knew the avenues to actually get the confidence to go and, you know, do a gig. It was, it was, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified, to be honest. But so, I, so I ran a club, and now I've kind of been painting myself in the corner of being a promoter, even though I was really wanted to do stand-up. I, I'm, I confess to everyone, I did just want to do stand-up. Well, you, you did quite well when you... Because I read in, in 1997 you got to the final of a competi- the Telegraph competition or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did well. Yeah, I, I, I did all right in the competition, but Paul Foot was our, was like the king of our year, and um, I got through to the final, and uh, and there's, 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 that final was one thing that I regret. I took advice from someone that I regret taking because I was going to go on and I was just going to, I was going to ask the question who who judges the judges, and um, I was going to go Carolina, uh, Carolina Hearn, great characterization, eight out of ten. I can't remember the bloke's name. Wrong, yeah, um, Charles Foot, who was writes for the Telegraph. I think it was Charles Foot, something like a seven out of ten. There was someone else there, I can't it was nine out of ten. Gary Bushel, what a cunt. And that's basically how I wanted to open my set. And I think I'd, 
it would have been an amazing thing to have done and I wouldn't have won but I didn't think I was going to win anyway but it would have been an amazing thing to have done and someone advised me not to do it and I, I kind of really regret that but yeah I got through to the final that I toured with Johnny Vegas toured with Ed Byrne but I think it's, that was more to do with the fact that I could drive a car <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, I was a good, and I was able to be a good mate and have a good laugh and um, which is quite important if you're a support act and tour manager the ability to have fun is quite important yeah there's a, there's a um uh, I wouldn't say a rumour, but there's because I sort of chatted to Jeff Whiting about this because there's a there's sort of a misconception on his club on his gigs that you get a lot of open spots if you can drive, um, and it's interesting. I mean, I suppose back then there were less people, and so if you could drive and you could perform and you were a laugh, you probably got even more gigs than you might have done now. I would, I think, for Jeff to say it's misconception is utterly wrong. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, okay, for his gigs because that just seems the way. That, anyway. Um, why did you say that? Well, because everyone knows that if you can drive, you, you get gigs with Jeff, <laughs> Jeff White, and everyone knows it's it's true. Um, uh, anyway, no, if I'm booking now and and I'm doing gigs, there's sometimes, you know, because I book stuff in Nottingham and Leicester, if someone's got a car, then um, they're more likely to get to get a gig, and that's just not... If they're, if they're, not, if they're not someone I'd want to book, then I wouldn't book them even if they've got a car or not. If they've got a car and you go, oh, we need a driver. So you, you kind of have this list of people you know are drivers. So you will take priority. In. And, and I, I can't believe that there's people as adults whose job can take them all around the country and they haven't got a car. It just, I find it unbelievable. There's people that are 60 years old. Have you got a car yet? No. They're waiting for lifts and trains. I find it, I can't fathom it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. So yeah. So I, when I said about getting a lift, John, with Johnny Vegas and tour he, he'd had a tour manager the year before and, and he didn't get on with him very well and I was good mates with him and he he liked me so it, I kind of got the gig but it was because I was able to drive him around it saved the tour the tour promoter two two wages basically so I could drive and I could support act and tour manage so I was kind of a I was a bargain basically <laughs> <laughs> that's that's when you uh, slightly, slightly want to pick you up on something before we go to the Johnny Vegas route um for me, as a performer, I tend to keep the fact that I can drive quite quiet because I sort of like the idea of being booked on merit. But it sounds like it might be more of an asset for me to say to promoters, I'm funny and I can drive, not just... Yeah, you are going about it completely the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. Do well, I no, have a car? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got a car. Let everyone know you can drive because no one's going to book you if they think, unless they're a terrible promoter, book you just because you've got a car but it means you might get a ten, you're more likely to get a 10 minute spot to be seen or something like that it's, it's just easier and it's not people being horrible it's just there's gigs that you can't get back from at sometimes get, get back to London at half 10 because the trains don't run so if you've got someone doing a 10 minutes that you can all share the petrol with and also you'll get to know com- more comedians because you'll be in the car sharing a journey with them they tell the promoters about you you know the car journeys are quite a, I think quite an important bonding thing and, and also, yeah, you'll see. Do whatever you can to get gigs. Wherever you can get do to get gigs. Don't worry if you're if you think you're booked just because you got a car. <laughs> just get the gigs. Get the stage time. Well, no, I, it's not. I suppose it's an. Uh, I don't want to say an integrity thing, but it's it's also like a, a worry that I'll only get booked because I have a car that I sort of didn't mention it and I have. Oh, I, I don't mention it. Uh, for many promoters I mean like uh, promoters I, I know and I've gigged for for a little bit now so like the ones for last year year and a half that sort of regularly book me they know I can drive but they knew I was funny so it's okay for me to tell them kind of thing because I feel like I've earned that but I suppose I understand what you're saying but it's wrong <laughs> yeah, no, but, but you might as well get your foot in the door 
and get yourself the gig because there's, there's, you know, get yourself a foot in the door. If you shit, they won't book you back. It'd be as simple as that. But if, if they're hunting for someone and you happen to go, oh, that bloke's got a car, they won't book you just because you've got the car. But there's no harm in, in letting them get yourself up a little, a little peg or two in doing that. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not you know, there's no harm in it, really. So in terms of getting open spots with you, it's, it's actually, or just a tonic even, it's uh, advent- advantageous to mention that you have a car yeah, and you well, can drive. Yeah, our open spot thing is done through... Cause, in the minute, my club is a Saturday night in, in Nottingham. It's kind of it's it's not really a very good place for them to be open spots. To be honest, it's detri- it can be detrimental to them because the audience is a Saturday night crowd, and it can be very difficult for the club to pick up again after if, if an open spot's been sort of undamaging. So what we tend to do is we see people through our big value auditions, and, and Joe does those, and we have them on a Thursday night. And what, what we try and do is get you know we have a Thursday night, and we'll try and get people to come from like a group of people to come from one area with one driver so they could all share a lift and so we see loads of people every week and you know if you want to do the big value and you say to Joe yeah, I'm, I'm based in Manchester and I've got a car you know right we'll make sure we can get you in when, when there's three people on and you'll get you're, you're giving people a lift down so it's not you're kind of helping everybody out really <coughs> so no that makes sense and I mean uh, yeah from my perspective it's because um, uh, hmm just trying to think about how to ask this now. <laughs> you're sort can, of are you going to say, can I have a gig? Uh, <laughs> no, there's no point, is there? Um, not, not in this situation. We're in a cave at the moment in the middle of Edinburgh. Um, uh, yeah, so in, in terms of um, progression ladder then for, yeah. for, for Just a Tonic, I mean, obviously it starts with open spots and, and moves forward. But for, I mean, in my head, uh, and this might be different because you're the promoter, I'm the uh, book, book, uh, yeah. comedian but in my head the way that uh, it works it's like ra- radio play so like if you get on the radio play list you get played l- yeah, uh, quite often well, but if you don't get on that list you're yeah, never going to get a gig what happens and I don't think I'm I don't think I'm sort of unique in doing this you have a lot of people that you book and it's just out of habit you book them again and every now and then I go someone go you haven't booked so and so and I go oh shit yeah, yeah I've seen them I just didn't think about it or I've, oh, I haven't booked them for, for ages and it's through no through no um lack of wanting to book someone it's just kind of you've either, either slipped by or you've got people you book anyway and you kind of that gets added to and there's no there's loads of people I don't book and I should book and, and I, would, I would like to book but I just either haven't seen them or they're not in my contact list or they don't hassle me for gigs because I assume I'm not going to book them I suppose you know people email and I go yeah I'm not booking now and I, I'm quite sporadic I kind of always go to people oh, ring me next Thursday or ring me Tuesday and I don't do it because I'm all over the place and I sit down and go right I'm going to do a booking binge now I'll get loads out of the way and if you happen to ring me then I'll go alright yeah you can have a go and that's kind of it's not as scientific as <laughs> as you know but I, I, don't, I don't I don't think the policy the comedy store probably got the same policy but I mean obviously there's no science behind booking really I mean it's it's if you're if you're a, I, I'd say there's no science but there's there's logic behind it so if you're if you're McIntyre and they and their agent rings you up you're most likely to find it because he'll put bums on seats. But it's like if if you're a jobbing comic that doesn't really have a TV profile or anything like that, I suppose it comes down to luck and timing then with you. Um, if I see someone and I think they're brilliant, even if no one else thinks they're brilliant, I'll book them because I want them to give them some work because I think they're brilliant. And sometimes sometimes there's performers that you, you just need one one person to champion you and believe in you and, and you'll keep going. If everyone just ignores you, then... You, so there's there's sort of, you know... and. I know there's been quirky acts over the time that no one else is sort of not really interested in, and I will book them regardless of how they're doing. And even if they die on their ass, I'll book them again because I go, well, I took the gamble, and I, I think I can see something there. It doesn't always work, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I like to think I, I, st- I still do that. But I don't see as many people now as I used to because I used to go around the country doing gigs, 
and uh, and I used to comp at my club a lot more, but because um, I've got kids now and I kind of, you know, <coughs> sort of things take over a bit. And you know, I, I want to give people a go that are doing it properly. You know, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a club every Saturday night. So um, yeah. I, th- I, w- I think with me, I have loads of people that I book, that I continue to book and always have booked, and then I just inject new people every now and then, th- just through no real reason or anything. Um, oh, you were talking about... Yeah, uh, it, it, for me, uh, especially since starting this podcast, the most interesting thing for me about promoters is they do champion acts. Um, I chatted to Alfie Nooks, who runs the We Are Funny project, and um, when he was telling me about like the different pr- performers he champions and always pushes forwards and continuously books, or, or they could even turn up sometimes, and if they've got a spot, they'll just put them on. Um, for me, that's really interesting, because I thought it would be more, um, should we say, business-orientated, where you'd want to keep the rotation of acts a certain... You know, like with, Je- with Jeff, for example, um, I don't think they champion acts in the same way, because they, they have things on it that says, you know, don't do this gig if you've done it in the last 12 months. They sort of have to make the rotation work. But it sounds like because you're... I don't want to say more indie, but you, you, you are independent from the venues maybe that you're dealing with, unlike what he's doing. You, you have the capacity to do that. Yeah, I kind of do what I want, really. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, if I, I book for... So I book for a few external people. So this is, might be where you're... Cool. Right, so I think what you're talking about is it, if you're booking for venues that it's not, it's not your night. Mm. Um, so I book for Loughborough Town Hall, or I book for... A student union or something I have to be sure that what I'm putting in isn't going to I have to be confident that there's going to be no sort of weak bits in it so you, you kind of really book trusted acts they're probably going to not want the same person every, ne- every now and then so you do kind of tend to be a bit more I suppose what you're thinking business orientated but if it's a venue of my own like a book for Leicester or a book for, for Nottingham or some little gigs I want to do or anything in Edinburgh that I'm doing then I will I will try to put in people that are a bit more varied and I will take risk with people because it's my risk you know it's, it's my door take and if and if they die in their ass, it's me going well I book that you know same as I'll book myself to compare in my own gigs and I, I find it very difficult to book myself to compare in the gigs I'm booking for because if I you've got two heads on if I die it's embarrassing for everyone but also they're going to go well, can't use him again because he's he's booked himself and he's shit and, you know, and, and that, everyone's shit sometimes mm. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you are. Everyone has a duff gig, and um, and I don't want to do that when I book myself. Yeah. So so, if I'm booking for someone else, I'll be a bit more stringent. But I I, I think I do. Once I find once I think someone's funny, I'll kind of believe in them and I'll book them without. I won't make people go. Or oh, you have got to do five, then you got to do ten. If I see them and they do ten minutes, go you can come and do twenty because you you can tell if someone's you can tell if someone's got it or not really. Mm-hmm. And if you then just let them do twenties and you, the, the the best comedians I think are the ones where I've just gone. Like the compares when he's, you know, when I have a decent compare, like Eric Lampere is probably the most recent example. I just go, do what you want, Eric. Just go and piss about and have a good time. And you just get the best out of someone because they know that you're going to book them again regardless. And also they've been given free reign to do whatever they want. Mm. And that's when I think a, a, gr- a great comic, a good comic can be a great comic because they can just fuck about with any pressure. So I won't be, I won't be sitting looking at the clock going, he's only supposed to do 10 minutes before we brought him on. If, if that compare is having a really good moment they can do 15 or 20 minutes they can make that can make the gig and I think I think um, Eric only realised that when he, he sort of came off of a gig with us one time he, he had a shit gig basically and he went oh sorry about that and I went don't worry about it shit gig you funny he went oh you still book me and I went without question you know because what I what I if you're going to have someone who fucks about or is creative 
and they're not going to be 100%. You know, if, if, but you have, you have got acts, and nothing wrong with them, that just will do the same 20 minutes over and over again. I actually get bored of it, and so less li- I'm less likely to book it because oh, I'm compound. I don't want to sit through that again. So it kind of there is there's a lot of personal. <laughs> you know, I, I want to I want to book a gig that I want to sit in. Really. Mm. Anyway, did I answer the question? Uh, I'm not too sure. You answered quite a few questions. Right. There. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I get what you mean because when I when I was doing my previews in London um, just before Edinburgh, I yeah, like I gave myself license in parts of it to buck around and to try ideas in the middle of the show, obviously at the start or the end or whatever, just to see how it went. And it's one of those things where um, they're now my favourite parts of that show because because I, I wouldn't have, you know, if I'd sat down and written it in the way you write a joke, it wouldn't yeah, have come it out. It doesn't always as, work, does it? No. no. You need, I needed to work with the audience to come up with why that was funny for me and why I think that would be funny for them. And I get what you mean by like, letting someone have especially in front of a, a paying professional audience because they're so much more committed than for example when I'm doing free previews that they're going to give you more yeah. and you're going to learn more and, they're, and they're, hopefully they're going to be funnier I think I follow what you're saying yeah. <laughs> I might be doing that wrong yeah. as well no, no no it's just because I was, I was actually just thinking about I was thinking about myself to be honest because <laughs> <laughs> what I just said there about letting Eric have free reign when I was running around trying to do comparing I used to go to some gigs and I'll compare and I'll just fuck about. And I'll, I'm quite good at just fucking about and having a good laugh. It doesn't always work. And, um, but generally, so I'd say 78% of the time, I'm good enough to get away with it. And there's the amount of times promoters have gone, all you did was fuck about, you didn't do jokes. Going, yeah, but it was funny though, wasn't it? The gig was worked. Mm. It was funny though, wasn't it? Yeah, but you, you haven't got any material. And I know, because I like compares that don't do material. I like compares that just mm. make, make some magic happen. Go and make something happen that's magic. Save your material for 20 minutes somewhere. Just go and do something that's never going to happen again. And, um, and I, I sort of try. I'm not not the best at doing it, but I can I can just fuck about with the crowd do, and I wouldn't get booked back. And you go, I wish someone would just go. Oh, he's good at fucking about. We'll book him back. Mm. But yeah, it didn't happen. I just I book myself, and I'm the only person that books <laughs> me. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. Uh, where I get I get booked very sporadically for MC spots, and I try and never do material just because a it feels really artificial and it feels really too, like I'm disconnected from the audience. And and I think as an MC, you're the one that needs to connect most because you keep going back. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And like. When you when you go up and you get to make a moment, I think that's my favourite type of comedy in general. Not just MCs, just ones that make a moment. Yeah, some, something that you just go, well, you just something's happened. You know, because yeah. because the way it's built to it, that that couldn't have happened. Yeah, it, that wasn't prepared. There's no way it's prepared, but it was very silly. Yeah, yeah. But the worst thing about that doing that is if you you are shit in the first bit and you've got to go on two or three times afterwards. Yeah. That is, that is horrible because you know they're thinking oh god here comes that dick again <laughs> here he comes yeah I've had that yeah. I've had but, it too many times <laughs> so I'll just give you a minute to yeah. stare off into space and reminisce <sighs> um, but yeah like you were saying I mean you, you went on tour with Johnny Vegas and, and you were starting to build yourself as a comedian and would, I mean, would you still say you are a comedian or would you say that because you, your Wikipedia says you're a comedian in your own right but you've just said that you're a uh, Am I on Wikipedia? More of a, you are on Wikipedia. Am I? Yeah. Yay! <laughs> I'm doing a little dance now. I might have made that page for you. Bloody, <laughs> <laughs> I, I never knew I was on Wikipedia. Oh, my children will be proud. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure there's not the Daryl Martin that's a, an American DJ? No, I'm sure. Because, right, okay. uh, well, if it was, you can, I'm, you can I'm, tell I've Googled myself there. Well, well, I did just, yeah, I did just bring up about radio play and stuff. It might have been the wrong guy. <laughs> um, but no, I, I no, you're in, you're on. There's a Just a Tonic page. All oh, right, and down that there's a oh, bit right. about you. It's not just a Daryl Martin Wikipedia. Oh. Sorry, you've got to be yeah. better. Keep going. Yeah, know, Come on, you'll get there. I could just start one myself. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I think I gave up trying to do gigs. I think I was banging away at the door of, of agents and bookers and stuff, 
and I'd say I gave up to the gig when I, I I did a gig I went down to do a bound and gag gig when I was doing stuff in North London still and they're still running gigs not just pr- promoting and touring and I arrived thinking I was comparing a normal gig and uh and when I arrived there, it changed into being a normal gig, into being a warm-up for the, for the first series of Live at the Apollo. And it was <laughs> it was Omid Dejali and ah, Irish, 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 ben, uh, Father Ted. Oh, Ardlow Hanlon, Ardlow Hanlon, yes. Omid Dejali. And not only that, it was um, off the curb crew in there because they're a production team. All the open mic lot, Addison Cresswell, most powerful booker and agent. You know, died now, but at the time was. You know, I absolutely shat myself. Honestly, just shat myself. Because every time I'd done a big gig, like I'd done, gone to the comedy store, I'd gone to Jonglers and tried to do that. I got so nervous, I couldn't talk properly. Well, I talk really fast. And I thought, I can't, I can't blow this out. I can't blow this. This is, this is a big gig. I've got on with Jali and Nadal Hunt. And I walked up and down the high street, uh, Parsons Green, I think it was, walking up and down. And I got on and I did a really good, if I was shit, I don't know, I would say that was shit. I did a really good gig. I fucked about the audience, got some bloke on stage, took the piss out of him. And at the end of the gig, um, Addison Cresswell came up to me and said, oh, all right, all right, fucking hell, mate, you're, you're funny. You remind me of a, told me I remind me of Sean Locke, so I sound like Sean Locke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard it before. And he just started telling me that I was funny, he'd give me gigs, he'd do this, he'd do that. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I said, well, if I ring up Danny, who was the book at the time, he, he won't give me a gig. And he went, you will, you, you tell him, you tell him Addison says to give him a gig. So I rang up the Monday morning, with great pleasure, rung up Danny. You know, I think he'd only seen me die on my ass at the Hackney Empire final when I was in that in a year of doing competitions like everyone does when they start <laughs> and um, so he'd seen me like four or five years before and I was like alright right, Daniel alright Daryl I was saying, yeah, uh, your boss isn't Mr Cresswell he says that you've got to give me some gigs he went ah oh, fuck off Daryl I went no go and put the phone down and go, go to the back office and ask him so he comes back rings back to me alright mate and he gave me one gig <laughs> and I went there and it wasn't brilliant and then I don't know what happened now. I spoke to him since then he says oh you didn't chase it up we didn't follow up but I, could, I didn't feel like I could get any more of them. It just come to an end, and I just thought, oh, I can't be bothered with this anymore. I can't keep trying to sell myself. I, you know, you, you, I can remember I can remember driving down to Bristol from Nottingham, going to this club that's run by some bloke. He's not a very popular promoter, and I stood there doing five five or ten minutes, and there was honestly five or six people in the audience. So as far as I'm concerned, he hadn't done his job as promoter. I'd driven miles to go and do this thing. I didn't stand. A, I could. I wasn't making anyone laugh. You know, there's five or six people in there. It was like I was, it was quite new, and, and I come off, and he'd been playing fruit machine all the way through. Up here. I went, um, hey, mate, what, what was that like? He just turned, looked at me, he went, it was all right. And I went, do I get another gig off that? Like, do I get a paid five or a paid ten? He went, look, to be honest, mate, the only people I book here are people that play the jonglers or the comedy store. And I went, well, what the fucking hell is the point of me driving 150 miles to come here? And I said, w- w- where's your opinion and taste in this? What a waste of my fucking time. And I didn't bother booking out. But I, I, kept, I kept on getting these things where I just kind of, just banging my head against the wall. And uh, and when I got take, brought up to do Big Value by Pete Harris in 1999, which is where I, my, my Edinburgh stuff started, really, he was someone that had seen me compare, and he could see the poten- that I had potential. I was raw. And I, I spoke to him since then. He said, I was really raw. He said, but he could, he could see something there that, that could be brought out. And he, he sort of believed in me. And then I did that Big Value with him, and he, he, he jacked it all in after that. And he, he was the bloke that kind of had managed Ezzy Izzard before he was famous and kind of taken him up. And he, he had quite a few people in his stable at one point. And he was brilliant, and he's, he's still he's come back. He's involved in comedy again, but he was one person that that probably would have championed me. But he jacked it all in and moved to Thailand. And I was like, Phew. and so I, what happened is I, I had a couple of, I had a couple of kids with um from a previous nightmare, <laughs> and um <coughs> and it was very difficult to be driving around the country and promoting and doing everything. So the comedy sort of sort of dwindled out really, and I just focused on um promoting. 
But I still love doing it. I still love getting on stage and comparing. And I still keep convincing myself that I'm going to write an hour show. Still convinced myself that I'm going to write material. And every time I turn up a Saturday night, I go, oh, shit, I haven't, I haven't thought about yeah. this again. I go on and go, all right, where are you from? What's your name? Yeah. Take the piss out of that job. Take the piss out of that job. And I, I kind of, I can't, my comparing is really just taking the piss out of comparing. I kind of, I kind of ham up. I kind of I basically tell the audience how I'm going to compare it. And then I comp, and then I go through what I've just told them I'm going to do. It's, it's, it's a little cheeky technique. And that's basically what I do every week now when I compare. It's funny. Yeah. I get away with it. So. Uh, well, uh, so sorry. Uh, you said like that you didn't follow it up, so therefore they didn't book you again. Yeah. Well, well in my mind, I, 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 th- I think, in my mind, I remember it being that they went, "No, not getting more gigs." But when I spoke to Danny afterwards. He's went, no, you know, you, you know, you just did, did one. You didn't, didn't try to get any more. And I was like, I'm sure, I, I'm sure I wouldn't have left it that. But different memories, you know. I, I don't know what, I don't know what really happened because it was, just, it was years ago, and you know, I might have just gone, I can't bother anymore. But you know, I, I was, I felt like I was kind of getting somewhere, and then it, it kind of, I think I got distracted because I went for a bit. I had quite a horrible, yeah, very hard work relationship with the, with the, with the mother of my children at the time. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the best place to be, and it was very difficult me going off gigs and. You know, there was spanners put in the works all the time, and I kind of, I, I, a few reasons I kind of just sort of backed off from doing stand-up. And I, I kind of regret that, because I think I, I might have been quite good. But having worked with people like Johnny Vegas, Ross Noble, and seeing people like Jimmy Carr, and, you know, the, the kind of commitment that they put into it, and the time and the effort, you know, there is no overnight success. People like that. They are, they work their ass off to do it. Mm. And I never really, I think I'm a little bit too lazy. <laughs> so... You know, when you work with people that are great, then you you know what it takes to be great. And I didn't really want to be, to be honest, I didn't really want to be someone that was, that was at fifty years old driving around, spending weekends in in junglers clubs up around the country just to pay the mortgage. I just didn't, I didn't want that. I'd find it depressing. There was a couple of times I'd have weekend gigs, and I'd actually get depressed in this in this shitty town that I didn't want to be in. We didn't know anyone. I was thinking, what am I doing here? You know. So I think I think the reality of being a stand up comedian on the circuit isn't what you imagine. I think you have a dream of what being a stand-up is, and you think it's all laughs and stuff. It's actually quite—I think it's quite unsocial and quite lonely. And I didn't—I didn't really want that. And so I, there was a mixture of me kind of kept banging my head against the wall, realizing I wasn't going to be get beyond that, and the fact that I was quite a good promotion. And so I just sort of for a variety of reasons I stopped. But I kind of wish I had tried a little bit harder at doing stand-up. I think rather than sort of bailing out. A little regret there. There we go. I. Uh, I have a few friends who uh, tell me they want to be full-time stand-ups and I know what you mean by uh, the reality not living up to the expectation mm. because whenever we do like a car journey together you know they're the kind of people that every you know stop need to get out and rest their legs or every like 20 minutes are like oh are we there yeah. you know they're just not enjoying any part of any of the, and it's mostly driving like right. it's, mo- it's mostly getting to yeah. the place or whatever um, and I just find it really Interesting. I find it interesting what you said, where you said um, I was just a bit lazy, so I thought I'd be a promoter, essentially. And it's like it wasn't. It, no, that wasn't what it was. It is that I think I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, I didn't have the confidence in my stand-up to commit enough time right. to doing stand-up because I thought I'd always be just a run of the. Um, the, ch- the chance I might be just a run-of-the-mill stand-up, whereas I thought I knew I was good at promoting, and it was. Is, I suppose, in a way, it was less, I was exposing myself less by being a promoter. Because if you if you go on stage and you're a bit of a crap comedian, I didn't want to be one of those lunatic crap comedians that thinks they're great and everyone else just thinks they're shit. I didn't want to be one of them people. And um, and and I, and I I think it was a little bit of kind of like, well, if I don't actually really try that hard, 
then I'm, if I don't try really hard, then I haven't really failed. Do, 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 yeah, do you know what I know mean? what you're saying. So you, you sort of let the imposter syndrome take over a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I sort of, yeah, I suppose I just sort of don't belong here. I'm not as good as these people. But the other thing is, is that I, were, I, was, I were very happy running a good club. You know, mm. so it wasn't like I was I was involved in the I wanted to be in. I'm meeting great people, doing gigs, comparing, and it I kind of quite I was quite happy with that. You know, so it, it wasn't like I was sitting at a desk job dreaming yeah. of dreaming of gigs and people laughing and stuff. I was kind of involved in a world that I enjoyed doing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm up here at Edinburgh. I've got 14 spaces, loads of shows on. We've had a really good month, and I'm sort of you know I'm not grumbling. I'm quite happy with it, really, to be honest. Mm. So I don't feel like you know I'm not sort of full of woes and regrets, but. You know. Everyone has a regret or two. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I uh, think this, this is this is turning into a yeah. psychoanalysis, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I have one quick question before we move on to Edinburgh because yeah. you just started talking about that. Like you said, you didn't really follow it up, and therefore they didn't give you extra spots. For me, as a performer, um, if I've done a gig and it's gone all right or not as well as I'd hoped, or you know what I mean, because like you said, you know. Um, I think we're always our own worst critic when we perform. Like, you know, we don't know the value of what we've done to people who, you know, see maybe one gig a week or whatever, who've done it seven times and we know it went amazing or exactly the way we wanted it to go. They might have really loved it, but it just didn't go the way we wanted it to go. So um, is it a case of still chase up with you regardless of, do you know what I mean? Like, even if I think my gig's gone, I mean, obviously not if we all know it's gone shit, but like if it's gone, if it's gone not as well as I want it to, but they've still been laughing, should you still chase up with you for spots or is it a case of, do you not get annoyed with people like all constantly saying, can I have a spot? Can I have a spot? Um, No. um, I don't, I suppose I don't get loads of people ringing up my mobile anymore. I think they, I think people email me so it's not as annoying as it was once, was once. Um, And I, I don't. Yeah, you know, I think people go through Joe now for for because he's doing the big value stuff. So I don't really. I'm not sort of batting off people anymore. But if if I'm at a gig, and if I'm if I'm there and I'm and someone's has come off stage and they've they've made people laugh. And I don't think I've done, really done very well. You know, I'm trying to work out what exactly you're trying to ask me. Well, I'm, try, I'm trying to say because uh, some promoters uh, dislike it when comedians keep asking for spots and keep chasing up stuff whereas other promoters like you said uh your system means that you're you know if they're not in your mind you won't book them so is it a case of it's worth just doing i know it's, it's de- definitely worth reminding that you exist yeah and uh yeah definitely it definitely is you know there's no harm in there's no harm in sort of going i'm here still i'm here still just because you might luckily get get us when we're book- doing bookings and stuff mm. um if if it obviously stinks then you know, I'd always let someone come back and have another go. I'd never, I'd never, I'd never judge someone on one gig. I, I, th- I wouldn't, because I know what it's like performing. I think it'd be very unfair if I just saw someone stink and and then uh, go, well, I've never seen them again. Mm. You know, and also people change in, in a year, two years, mm. three years. You can have someone that's, that's trying out one year and they don't really find their voice, so there's something clicks a year later and they're 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 amazing. You know, so it, it's very unfair to to write someone off. Yeah. In, on a on a one gig, so you know you you do need to keep you just need to sort of, you need to sort of balance reminding and being pushy. You know, just don't if you're if you're just nagging someone, you would. I've had I've, there are a few people I've I've just gone. It's eleven o'clock at night. And you just fuck off. Stop ringing my phone. I won't say it was, but he knows if he's listening to this. Uh, and um, and it, it kind of puts you off. It does because it's annoying. But mm. there's no harm in sort of you know. Oh, I'm here. Can you give us a gig? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And like you said, we're in Edinburgh at the moment, and you've got 14 spaces in Edinburgh, and you've been here for 
how many years now? You've been um, doing well, about a decade. Don't know. It sort of depends what level you mean. Because I started off flyering for Avalon and teching for Sean Locke in the Comedy Zone in '96, I think it was, or '95. So I've been up here in various, various guises. And uh, hello, bar staff. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they all get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So I, I was up doing that, and then I think the following year I worked for. My land is Wickler with Rich Hall and Jim Owen, and then might not have come up the next year. And then, then I came up in '99, Compare and Big Value, brought up by Pete Harris, and then I didn't come up the following year, I don't think. And then I was asked to to, prom- to run Big Value because Pete Harris had left. Mm. Then a couple of years later, I was running the venue, and then that venue shut, and I went somewhere else. And just through a just through a series of unplanned progressions, it kind of expands into what it is and that's, it wasn't nothing's been planned at all it's just sort of it's grown I think for, just through I, I don't know I don't know how okay <laughs> hard work I think uh, Get, getting a few things right well um, well, uh, very quickly ask you the sidebar question to do with that you this year took on a lot of acts very last minute for free store, including myself yeah. because there was a bit of a she was an issue with that. I don't want to go into it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and and given your booking policy of trying out, pe- you know, with your own stuff, trying out people and, and not, uh, you know, not being as business orientated as it were. I mean, I assume was that quite a linear move for you because you had extra, do you have extra space, or is it like a quite hard? Well, no, well, when what happened, I'd got myself in some in a pickle similar to the Freestyle people did a few years ago. I won't go into that. It's a tedious, tedious story. But I'd got myself in a pickle, and a few people rallied around and, and helped me out in the end. And then what happened with the uh, with the situation you were in is uh, I'd the room we're in now, which is in part of the caves. The owner was going to do some work on it and turn it into a whiskey drinking venue, and so he'd said that we couldn't have this part of the caves. And then he changed his mind around about about two days after the, the fringe deadline closed. So I <clears throat> two of the spaces that I'd normally have used <clears throat> were were not used by us. And then when all that thing kicked off with the feast of all sort of Show's been booted out. I um I rung up the freestyle people. Said I, I might be able to help you if I can get my venue back, but you have to pay some more money. And then you know I I I don't want to be part of this free stuff. Whereas there's no ushers, there's no tech support, there's no nothing. And it's a nightmare because as as good as the the free fringe thing is, and it's theoretically there's a lot of faults with it. Mainly there's no management, there's no investment in it, so nothing can be nothing's ever done properly. I don't think, and it's chaos. And it's all right if you've got one room in the back of a pub, but when you've got three or four rooms working together, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare for the public, nightmare for the performers. And so I kind of said, look, I need to, I've got to usher this. So I've sort of, I said, it's all dependent on whether I can negotiate sort of the, the venue paying a bit less than I would normally would. So I, um, so I, I kind of managed to work it around. And I, I think the Facebook people did email out going, I don't know how they did it, but I just said, look, you can, whatever, whatever shows that you think around about the, try and get shows that are around about the same time as it would have been in the, in your programme so it's not too much of a change for people and I definitely want Let Loose who'd been with the year before mm. and I, there's a couple of people I picked and then I emailed a couple of agents that I said are there any of your people that I know any of your people involved in this mess can you tell them I'll take your shows but I, I just kind of it was blindly booked by me and but it was all through the Freestival people so with a few bits of input as well and there was Mr Susie came here because he he was the only person that it does show this, the state of the comedy world. He was the only person that sort of reacted against what had happened and, and left his venue in protest of... Obviously, we don't want to go into the boring politics of now, but he kind of he made a protest move and he thought loads of people might follow him. And they didn't. He just kind of, come on, everyone, look, turn around, and there was no one behind him. So I gave him a room in here just because I kind of I've admired that. And um, 
yeah, so that it kind of kind of cobbled together. And I, I think the people that were here have kind of enjoyed the fact that it was um, it was semi-professional, I suppose, because it was definitely just the tonic light. But but no one would have known because they were used to like what I would say the debacle of the free fringe. Now I could imagine that Calgate head was a bloody nightmare this year. Mm. <laughs> and I think were, were you pleased to, were you pleased you weren't involved in it in the end I yeah I feel like I've got a massive upgrade yeah. I think I've told you this before because <laughs> yeah. I, I went down to Calgate Head to fly the first couple of days because I thought if people are looking for my show I want to tell them I'm yeah. not here anymore and there were a few people hanging around and like looking for it and stuff uh, and I went to see a few shows there like a few days in and it was not the best venue should we say in the world and um, I got I got chatting to someone actually uh, I think it was about four or five days in who said oh how much did you have to pay I bet it was really expensive to be at Just Tonic and I was like well it was more expensive than Freestable uh, as it would be but I said I do have an usher <laughs> and I do have lighting and I do have like a really nice room that has been kitted out in the way that I would have wanted if I was with you know like a like a you know proper thing mm. and I went in down and obviously looked at those shows and I felt like I'm really glad I wasn't in those rooms because I don't feel like it would have worked as well. I mean, yeah, I had to come up with a marketing plan very quickly that changed what I was doing to mean that people would know where I'm going and, you know, the new room and stuff. But everyone loves a bit of a challenge, don't mm. they, the <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it sort of works itself out, doesn't it? But but my, I think probably the issue I've got now is because is, it's, it's worked quite well, but I, I probably won't be able to afford to do it again next year because I'm not getting the, the room after the fringe program oh. so I've got to work I've got to work out how I can do it as a model if I can afford to do the same thing it might be more expensive I don't know so it's the end of this one I haven't even started thinking about that now but I've got the rooms but I just need to work out how I'm gonna I kind of enjoyed having this bit but it's it's doing this and maintaining this sort of um, the monetary scale and the other bit as well I can't you know I can't it's, it's difficult to balance the whole thing out over across the whole the whole thing really I haven't even thought about it to be honest I want to go away for a month and worry about that end of October I think planning for next year it's been good though isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. I, and you, your staff have been amazing I know this now just sounds like a cheap plug yeah. for just a ton of, <laughs> but genuinely they've just been they've, I mean to be fair to me I've always so the last two years I've done uh, I did one with Laughing Horse and then I did one with Priest of All last year and both years uh, the thing that added to the loneliness of it was that you didn't have ushers and you didn't have staff and the bar staff were always busy and they did and they did and they felt detached from the show whereas here they feel like they have an investment in the brand rather than just being working because yeah. they work there anyway kind of thing whereas most of the people you've got here don't live or work in edinburgh they've come in for the festival yeah they want to be part of it yeah but we do have a strict no dickhead policy so. Oh, that's how you've done it, <laughs> right? Everyone, yeah. everyone listening into this, can we have a no dickhead policy at all the other places as well? That'd probably make the fringe a lot more fun, wouldn't it? Well, you have to think: can I spend a month with this person? And that kind of helps in the booking of the venues, venues as well. If I'm, we get people applying for, for the thing, and you can you can kind of sense from the application form, and that seems really weird. And you you go and see a show, or you talk to on the phone, and there are people that I've gone, Christ, they're gonna be a nightmare, and I just, they might have money to. Sp- rent the room but you just think my, in my first dealings with them it's been a bloody nightmare and I don't I don't I can just see headaches ahead and I don't want that for a month mm. so you know I might regret it when they're somewhere else and they're selling selling out but you just you you can tell very soon well, I've learned to tell you don't always get it right but yeah. some people are just awkward let's say 
No, I, I, every, every, it's interesting. Every every area of comedy says a similar thing. So I spoke to some PRs before uh, coming up here, and all of them were like, you know, if you're this for the podcast, not for my own thing, but if you're a dickhead, I just won't take you on because I need someone I can work with. Yeah. I spoke to some other promoters. They were like, seriously, if you're a dickhead, I'm just not going to book you. Yeah. I don't care how funny you are. Yeah, why do you uh, want to give your money to someone that you? You don't like. I don't want to encourage that behaviour. Yeah, it's yeah. a very people-person yeah. business. I find comedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is one comedian that um, he turned up at my club and was really, really rude to my staff and was just was horrible. And then started slagging us off on Twitter, slagging us off. For, we didn't do anything wrong. He just refused. He wouldn't go. In, he wouldn't headline because he because he thought he should get paid more than someone else. But actually, at the time, I was paying everybody the same because I didn't want that kind of. I want everyone to get the same, no matter what part they want. But he wanted more to headline, and we were going well. Look, someone's someone's messed up at Jonglers. We're trying to help them out, let them have a double. Can you? And he, he was. And he then says, "We're not reckon someone else can headline it," which which wasn't a natural order for the show. And then then he started slagging off the staff, slagging off, and and um, and after I just won't book him. I just won't. I just won't, I don't want him in my venue because it was horrible, a horrible human being, and I, I don't want to encourage that kind of behaviour. You know, just you know, why would I give my money to, to someone like that when there's nice people? It might not be quite as funny, but I'd rather spend I'd rather spend my time with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really weird. I think I, I just don't know why you would. I mean, I suppose because the thing is, uh, one one of the big things that a lot of comedians now sort of been saying to me is they don't want to uh, pick on the previous act, even if it went badly. Like there's sort of this uh, new wave of you know, like if something goes bad, you can sort of take a cheap shot at someone before, like the, the person before you, and that. Uh, oh, sorry, and sorry. that and that's a uh, no, okay. And that kind of gets you a cheap, easy laugh, and then they kind of trust you. But there's sort of this move to not do that. But I just, and I suppose, I'd, I'd, to be honest, I didn't know anyone did that. Really, I, I would say I might, I might see the odd compare do that, and that, but that's more of a allowing the audience to recognise that you recognise that yeah. as a comp, you can't go and go. Well, that was great, wasn't it? When it clearly stung, you have to kind of yeah. go a bit shit or something. Like that, you know, just get a, not getting a cheap shot, but just you, you're acknowledging what went on. And I don't think I, I don't think I can think of many people that go on afterwards and go, well, they were shit, weren't they? <laughs> I, I just, I just, I don't think I don't think that's a move away from it. I just can't think of when I've seen that being done unless it's a right low run gig when someone is actually trying to salvage you know so I'm, I'm arguing with you here no no that's fine that's what this is about <laughs> argue away yeah. Um, yeah, you're the, wrong <laughs> that's, uh, that's going to be the sound bite for this yeah. you're wrong <laughs> I'm right yeah. never booking you yes not, um, <laughs> even though you can drive that's how rubbish you are you can drive and I'll, you're not being booked I'll book you as a driver yeah okay you can right. drive my okay, accent if you're willing to <laughs> <laughs> I'm alright okay. driving is my least fun part of the, the whole thing like I, I like long drives but generally speaking um, like I don't know I always end up in the car with someone who either doesn't want to talk or, or wants to fall asleep on the way home or just doesn't do you know what I mean like just isn't into the socialising element of it and as a result I feel really awkward because they're, they're essentially some, I mean especially when you get in with someone you don't really know a stranger you've picked up and put in your car and then they just go to sleep and it's an oddly trusting thing to do with someone that you don't know you know that, that's just picked you up they might find it just as awkward as you. Just want to pretend to be asleep to save the <laughs> to save, save the effort. What have people been telling you about my? I don't know. I don't think about you, Simon. Um, yeah, the thing that scares me most about coming back to the fringe is that that keeps happening. The, the freestyle PPH thing isn't uh, as unique of an event as I think people think it is. I spoke to some people from freestyle and they said, uh, like as, as they pointed out on the Chortle article, um, a verbal contract is just as binding in Scotland as an oral, con- so as, a, as a written contract. And as a result, a lot of free venues do not have written contracts with places and as a result there's there's sort of a they could turn around at any point basically and say we've been offered a private function in that room you can't use it yep 
<laughs> I thought you were going to have something to say on that, but no. Well, it's just, you know, there is the, the people. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Basically, the people that got the bars, all they're interested in is taking money. Mm. And they, they they don't really care about not all of them I'd say but majority of them are just kind of who can we get in to fill our bars up and, and they've got no concern about the performers I'd say which is what happened in the Cowgate Head thing it was there was a big there was a big potential money there's a huge amount of money that can be made in that Cowgate Head and so a lot of people were bidding for it I don't know what happened with the free store I don't know what the deal was going on but I know I know people that were bidding on that spot and it was it was a lot of money that it went for because you've got to look at that big that big bar at the bottom opposite underbelly. You know, all they do is put some some hay bales in there and put a bar in there, and, you know, some musicians in there, and, and every all those performers are being totally used to generate a load of bar take. So everyone that's in the free festival, no matter what Peter Buckley Hill says about you know fighting for the acts and stuff, they're all being used to fill people's tills. They don't really care about comedy. You, know, you can say what you want about the big four and things like that, but there are at least there's promoters and agents there that actually care about looking after the acts. What happens with the acts? It might cost them a bit of money. They might potentially lose thousands of pounds, but you're with people that care about your future and what you're doing. Whereas, if you're if you're in something where, you know, the, 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 I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I, I think there's a the, the the festival as it was always had, I, I believe the the, um, the best of co- the best output outcome for comedy involved. Whereas the spread of the free fringe everywhere, there's so much money being made on the bars that the people that are actually bringing people in are being used by by the pubs. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. So so essentially, uh, pubs around the around Edinburgh who previously weren't making as much money because you know they'd be going to the big four and they've yeah. got their own bars there yeah. have found ways of making money by having a show on yeah. that didn't cost them that much. In fact, it got them money because we were renting the room in it. Yeah. And then, obviously, those people leave and have a drink. And so, as a result, they're getting more punters in yeah. and making a spike in their their money in August. Um, and, obviously, the acts are the ones, the last people to get paid again. Yeah, well, they're, they are being... Yeah, they're, they're being used as a way of bringing people into a pub. It's just, you know, it's what you do if you're running a venue. You know, you are, mm. if you go to a comedy club, that comedy club is using you as a comedian to get people into the room to sell some drinks, you know. Mm. So, but in that, you've got a promoter. Most times, you've got an external promoter that's trying to, that loves comedy and is trying to get people in and cares about who they're booking and stuff like that. Whereas, in the in the in the free fringe, I, don't, I, I, I'm, I, I might be completely wrong here, but I've kind of thought about it quite a bit. And it just seems, especially what happened with that the thing which messed up with you lot, there was a lot of power, money people going involved. 
And even though the Freeswell people had booked all this stuff in, when it came down to it, it was handed over to people. It was, it, was, it was run by people that actually didn't care about what happened to all those performers. Mm. There was no thought about what happened to those people that were already booked in. That could have been salvaged. could have been done nicely where, oh, gee, we've already got someone booked in here. Let's make sure no one suffers. But it wasn't. It was done with a massive sledgehammer because the person that was making the money didn't actually care about what was going to generate the money that he was trying to make out of it. Do, 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 yeah, do you yeah, see what yeah, I mean? I get what you're saying. It, it was a kind of... He didn't... I don't, I, don't, I don't give a shit about these performers. You know... Because I've got this venue and I, I don't happen to like Freestival people. I like this other person or, or he's offered me a better deal or he wants less. I don't know. I don't know. I've got no idea what happened in there. But there was, it could have been potentially, it could have been done a lot easier and cleaner yeah. without the spill out. But because in the end, the performers weren't cared about. And so it's not just the person with the money that's doing that. It's the, it's the person that went in, got in and, you know, the, the, the free fringe thing could have, done, could have been nicer about it. They could have just... You know, if if the room if there wasn't as many rooms available like like he says, then he could have gone. Well, we, we have to lose twenty shows or something, you know, because you've programmed it. And it doesn't it's not going to work like that. But instead, he just he made a massive big fuss of it and stressed a load of people out. He's probably probably paid for accommodation. They're all young fledgling comics. Can't really afford to have a mess up like this. And probably invested a lot of time and emotion into this. All of a sudden, poof, they're smashed to pieces. And it it, it must have been hideous to have gone through because I. You know, I was reading stuff on Facebook, all these Twitters I was getting, and when we opened up the rooms, oh, thank you very much. I was like, well, mm. you know, it'll be all right. But it was a mess for a lot of people, and it, it didn't need to happen. And I think that's because there is so much potential money to be made from the bars mm. that, um, yeah, I, 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 I get a feeling that, um, you know, I'm not going to go on anymore. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I think I know what you're saying, because, I mean... Um when you say the money man, I assume you mean Peter Buckley, not no, no, uh, no. The, the venue owner. Oh, the venue no, owner. No, no, I mean, the, the, there's someone that owns the building, mm. and then who haven't done anything with it for years, and and then there's someone that wanted to, to lease it off them to run the bars, mm. to make all the money in the bars. But for that person to, I don't know who it is, I don't know what happened, for that person to make money, they, they don't know any performers, so they, they can use the free fringe to fill up their spaces so so performers are getting a chance to, to operate in the spaces which is all f- fine and well but I'm saying in this instance the, the mess up it could have been done differently anyway I'm going around in circles and probably not make any sense no, might, no. might want to edit this all out <laughs> I'll edit it down it's fine yeah. um, no but I, I hear what you're saying because uh, for, for me as a Calgary head refugee as they're being known at the moment um, yeah I just feel that the way that it was handled and the way that... I mean, don't get me wrong, there was a very short time frame for everyone to deal with everything. So it wasn't like, you know, they had a few months... At, like, say if it happened in January, I'm sure, you know, there could have been more negotiations and more chat. But the fact that, for example, Peter Buckley was refusing to talk about it and refusing to have conversations, yeah. I think was the main reason why it was worse. But I, but it was probably came down to, because most of the Freestyle people used to work with him, he just wanted his pound of flesh kind of vendetta in in the situation and i mean i'm hoping that's going to put people off using him because like you said you don't really want to go with someone who doesn't care about the acts mm. as an act yeah it's it's um the, the politics of the situation is more important than the thing and it's it's kind of a bit what happened with stalin <laughs> <laughs> that's a jump <laughs> um yeah i hear what you're saying um i mean it's yeah. I mean, for you, you 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 also you've run free shows before. 
Yeah, and you, and I never you, made a big thing of it. I just kind of people, they, they still pay rent. They still give me some rent. They do a bucket. Done it. For, I don't know a few times over the years. I just never did a big thing about it. Mm. And um, I'm just not. You know, like Bob Slayer is the greatest self publicist there is, and he he came up with that pay what you want thing. That was, was a good model. We used that this year, but I never. I, I didn't ever want to get involved in the in, in that petty politics of all the free fringe stuff. And like, I'm not free fringe. I'm laughing all the time. This I'm that. I just I find it tiresome. You know. I, I, I'm self-employed because I don't like office politics and I don't want to do it on a massive scale. I just want to, I just want to kind of get on with people. You know, Peter Buckley, the same thing happened to me. I was booking the Mash House a few years ago and I got kind of ousted by the free fringe. I did it half booked. But it was before the brooch deadline went in. I didn't make a big fuss of it. I didn't go to the press. I just kind of, oh well, yeah, that's what happens. I just, I can't be bothered with the pettiness and the, I just want to have a laugh. That's why I do it really. It, it feels like, yeah, it feels like there's Free Fringe, which is, um, you know, consisting of love. I know he doesn't like it when you call Free Fringe to include yeah. other things, but it's that's hilarious. why I do it. It's yeah. hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, why yeah. not? To be honest with you, it, the fact that it winds him up, yeah, it means that I'm going to keep yeah. doing it. So the Free Fringe that consists of uh, Laughing Horse, PBH, um, uh, what you might call it, Freestival, and I can't remember, there's, there's probably one more I've missed out. And then there's the the big four, and there's like you and Bob Slayer in the middle of that, which I feel is like the best compromise between the two, wh- who just sort of, like it feels like a lot of people have this preconception about the big four just being about money and being about like uh, being quite an expensive option for people. And, and some, some people perceive it as the professional option for it, but also I feel like you get detached a bit from the the fringe itself and what it always was and then you've got the free fringe which is like which is like um chaos chaos essentially and then you guys in the middle which uh, i'm totally gonna be applying for either you or bob next year just because you guys seem like you give a shit about the acts you have an affordable model that works for most acts and yeah i'm not gonna break even this year like i'm i'm open and very honest about the fact that i'm i'm gonna i might make back a third of the money that i invested into it but that wasn't the point for me do you know what i mean it was it was about trying to build an audience it was about trying to do the hour and and get forward and move forward but i think um and i think if you if you are someone like say joel domit for example who's doing really well apparently on the free fringe um he's getting in a full house every day and earning quite a lot of money from the counting house you can do that and i suppose you know once you've built your audience that's fine but it's it's picking where you work and picking who you work best with that is, I think, the most important thing rather than just trying to find a room. Would that no, be fair no, to say? No, I, I agree with that. And one of the things that I've always thought about the free, free, free fringe model is people come up to Edinburgh, they'll spend £1,000 on accommodation, £500 on flyers, they'll spend however much getting up here, whatever they're doing on props. But then I don't want to spend any money on the venue that I'm doing the show that I've come up here to do I don't want to sp- why should I give the venue any money why should the venue have any money off of me and you go well you're putting a show on Sh- surely you want a decent venue what the, f- what the fuck are you thinking you know that, that, I, was, I was always baffled by that mm. you know but I, I, the, the model of getting people in with the bucket thing works but you know I, I, two years was it last year we had Let Loose on and, and they, they gave us the rent for our room in the mash house so they paid the same as everybody else they wanted to do it as a free show and I watched them they were the 50 capacity room they were turning people away within about 4 or 5 days they were turning people away and it was really frustrating to watch because you'd, you'd have you'd have all these people turn up and you know they would, would have bought a ticket for a 5 or a 6 quid or something which isn't a lot you know and if they'd, if those girls had got that 5 or 6 quid every single day they were selling out they'd have gone away and made a lot of money you know but but because they'd done the free fringe model they had, all these people went in and I stood at the end and all these people came out, and half the people didn't put money in the bucket. And so, and those people did like two or three quid, you know. So they were turning, they were turning away people 
that might have put some money in the bucket and letting in people that weren't putting any money in buckets. They were going, oh, that's a nice free show. Mm. And just wandering off. And you go, well, it's not all about making money, but those girls put so much effort and time into a brilliant show. They should be rewarded for it. And, mm. and, and they should be able to afford to come back the next year and do it again. And so that was kind of really what, why I thought that pay-what-you-want model is, is good because I do it different to Bob where I still go, look, you've got to pay rent for room because I, I usher it, I kid it out, there's curtains up, there's, you know, there's a box office, you can buy tickets here, you don't have to go. I went to see a show, The Hive thing with Bob's the other day. We had to go up to the Ed Fringe office and get it. I, oh, I can't be bothered, so I didn't go because I couldn't get a ticket there. So um, I, I have to pay for all these things and I pay rent on the venues. It's not I don't get them for free I'm because they are normally fu- functioning rent venues and if I don't pay rent them, someone else will. So I've got to pay for rent. So it's... It isn't. I can't run it like a totally free fringe thing. But people go. So p- people are sort of paying a bit of rent, and then and then they're selling tickets, and they're getting. It's worked really well this year. We've had a lot of good shows that have done with the pay what you want model. It's, it's, it has worked brilliantly. And I've got a lot of people saying they're going to come use us next year because of the success that we've had in doing it. Yeah, I mean, I I personally think Bob's model is uh, as, as it probably is getting known. He likes that probably. Um, mm. It's it's yeah, perfect because. Like you said, it'd be great if people could reserve a ticket. So I've I've had a few people come back from last year, this year, and I'm sure if they, you know, w- were doing that again next year, they'd probably want to buy a ticket so they yeah. could guarantee a seat. Whereas, um, I mean, I know you, I know what you mean, but I had this argument with someone the other day. I had an argument with a performer who uh, will remain nameless, and they were saying they're really anti the free model just because they need to earn money. And I said we all need to earn money, but at my stage in my career. I feel like I need people to take a punt on me because there's so much other free content out there. And I'm a massive advocate of free content. I think I think you need to build an audience before and prove you're good enough to be paid for before you do that. And they were like, no, you know, you, you, you know I, I'm funny, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, you might think you're funny, but how many other people think that that will pay for it? Yeah, well, I totally agree with you. Before the free fringe model became big, when I was running the Cafe Royal years ago, the how we used to, I how I used to promote and what I was different to the, the big four. I mean, we were all just this tiny little, silly little venue, really. But I get shows in and I go go and comp tickets, get people in and get word of mouth done. And it, um, I think I think probably the first shows running the venue, Will Hodgson was doing a big value with us, and he was doing a solo show down in the Hollywood Tavern as it was, and he came in sort of in tears to the big value thing on the second or day, so no one's coming to watch my show. And I went, well, if you want, I'll come down and have a look at it, and if I like it, I'll help you promote it. And if, if I don't, I'll just tell you what I think's wrong with it. And so I went in to watch it. It was amazing. And um, so I said, I'll, I'll help you promote it. And all I did was go and comp it. Just gave away tickets and got these people into this weird, slightly cross-dressing, punk kind of weirdo that he was. An amazing show. And it, we just built up this audience for him you know, over the time. We went to, I had to go every day. and did, did, did it as a favour, really. And he ended up winning, winning the best newcomer. But that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't comped, if we hadn't comped the show to get an audience. And there's no way when the Foster's judges came in or Perry or whatever they were at the time... I mean, if there wasn't an audience there, then it would have been rubbish. So you have to you have to build you have to have an audience in there. You know that's performer. If you've only got two or three people in, it's shit. And uh, the, the the problem I always had with the with the big four people is their restriction on comps. And when when I had Pappy's Fun Club on years when they got nominated in '97, I think it was. Yeah, '97. And we we're in this big tent that we had, and I just went, look, let's just go out and give away all the tickets for the first couple of nights. Just give it away and get people in to see you because those you're so funny those 150 people will tell other people we did that for a couple of days so right now going two for one it there'll be word of mouth out there and they two for one it and after about a week or I don't know what exact dates were but they were just selling out and that was because they were allowed to have an audience in to see it. and that was 
pre-free fringe model, but that was me doing basically what I've always done is let people just comp their shows, get bums and seats. If your show's good, people tell people. If your show's shit, no one's gonna, no one's gonna, no one's gonna come. So you, but if you if you have fifty people in, they're gonna tell another fifty. If you have twenty people in, they'll tell mm. other people. And and you have to you have to be able to get people in. And that's that's the the, the thing that free fringe addressed is people um, being willing to experiment with their with their time because it's. Because you, you know, if you go, if you're looking for the fringe program, it's so bewildering, it's, and you're going, well, that's four quid, and there's someone famous there for twelve quid. I know that famous person's going to be funny. Why would I invest four quid in this? In this I don't know what it is. So you, you can understand people going to see the Sarah Millicans or whatever, and, but with the free one, you're going, well, I'm just losing, well, you're losing an hour of your life. Oh, I've lost a couple of them at free fringe shows. Mm. <sighs> <laughs> Mentioning no ne- never getting that, but I can't remember yeah. the bloke's name, but it's yeah. awful. And um, oh, anyway, so. That's, that's something the free fringe address it, it meant people could go and take experiments and you as a mm. unknown could get people in and if they like you they'll reward you with a bit of cash or they won't because they're, they're going to see other free stuff and just blagging mm. their way around but the problem is is as I've said with the let loose thing when when you when people are being a bit tight and as there's more and more free shows people are going to be putting less and less in I think because mm. there's you know the whole ticket price goes down and stuff I don't know so that's what I think the pay the pay what you want model is, is, a, is a good model because it like you know, like Spencer Jones was pay what you want, selling out. Can't you can't get a ticket? So there's no, you know, hmm. we have a lot of shows here for selling out. You know, doing the pay what you want. And you know, anyway. So something I uh, played around with this year that was okay successful wise, but I, I'm going to push it next year is I made a group on Facebook, uh, which I think I called the Edinburgh Fringe Comp slash Free Ticket Group. And the idea was going to be that if you were a performer who needed to get an audience in, you could share a link or put up a code and say. Today only, I'm doing oh, comps. Right. Did it work? Uh, it, it, for a few people tried it, and right. it got a few people in. But the problem was, I waited until the second day of the fringe right. to re- announce it. And I'm hoping next year, I'm trying to talk to the fringe office about basically them promoting it, so that we can make a, a group of people that people join and say, you know, because obviously, even if you're like a really established performer, you might not have enough of a base of people. You might not have people you want to, or even the people you're going out to, you you know, they might already bought, bought a ticket because they know what you're doing, and you want to give a comp to some people who you don't. No. What I would do rather than approaching the fringe because I think they might find it difficult because they have to be seen to be fair to everybody. Yeah. So you might have to. The best thing to do is to go through the fringe guide and approach everybody that you know hmm. and get a volume of people doing it through you know that it's working for. And after a, a year or two, people will know about it and they'll come to you to do it. Hmm. I, I think I can't speak for, for the fringe, but I think it's something they might go. They they can't. They might not be able to promote something that's. That's, yeah. that's going to be so biased to one sort of thing. They have to be, they have to be fair, and that's that's the, that's the best way to be. Where they are very, there is no favoritism in in the fringe, and that's mm. it's a nice thing. There's nothing worse than being part of a of a festival and then seeing certain things given preference over other yeah. things by the people organising the festival. It's like when I, there's a couple of theatres I book into when I was doing these two tours, and you get there and all their in-house productions are fo- so much heavily more promoted, and you go, well, why? what about my show well this is ours anyway yeah so I think it's a good idea but you should have told people maybe in May yeah I, I, I literally <laughs> yeah. had the idea right. three days before I came to Edinburgh and then I thought oh, I won't bother it's not, yeah. not worth doing not worth doing and then a few uh, I wouldn't say big name friends but a few friends that are doing a lot like they're a lot further down the line than I am said oh, I've got comp-, like they're posting stuff on Facebook I've got comps I've got comps anyway, I want to come and obviously we've all got shows so we couldn't go yeah. so I thought I've got friends who could go but 
that you know what I mean how am I going to get them to that show so I just made a group and invited everyone who was sharing the yeah. comp swing to it and said if you've got comps if you've got free tickets if you've got you know a, a reviewer coming in you can just write you know I've got a reviewer coming in here are some free tickets here's a free ticket link here's my two for one link whatever it is and that way you can it's like the yeah, half no, price ticket no, no, no that, is, that is a good idea and you should do it but just you know obviously give us some lead up time yeah but that is a good idea that would help a lot of people mm. and you would have because there's so many people that come to the festival that would want to go to loads of shows and they would benefit from that because I, and the, the mass public wouldn't be aware of it that there's this little mm. underground. I, I know, I think it's, is it the Frog and Bucket? There's some, yeah. There's, there's some comedy clubs that have got this little list of we need to get. Oh, the, I think the Stand do it. We need, we've got, we need to get some bums on seats and they've got this list of people that they email mm. out to to fill up a help fill up a room. It's much do that really. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. You well, I'll, well, I'll, well done, Simon. <laughs> thank you. I'll, uh, that's changed from no. <laughs> You're wrong. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll email you a link when, uh, or yeah. I'll, I'll invite you yeah. to it on Facebook. And if you want to invite all your acts next year, yeah, that'd be uh, yeah. perfect. Because uh, I'd, I'd love it to expand. Just because when I when I get to a stage where I want to do, you know, a paid show, I would love to have the facility there to be there. Mm. But also, a lot of my friends, I, I don't want them to not have audiences when they have reviewers in. And but but also, I know that. For me, for example, when I had a review in, I got an email from them saying, you know, we'll be in on this date. I said, guys, it's free. You can come on down. And that's a great push that you can say to people. However, if you're, if you're like, hey, guys, it's £5. Can you come down? There's a reviewer coming. Yeah. Most people know the reviewer isn't paying. Most people know that the reviewer is there to help their career. And if you don't know them, you're taking a punt to help their career, to help the reviewer. Who, You know what I mean? It's a whole thing. I like you say. Yeah. I'm with you. You're with me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, really so I read a thing in 2006 um, where uh, I think it was Johnny Vegas uh, Jimmy Carr I can't remember the others but there was like some really big names now they're, they're bigger names now but they yeah. were big then as well yeah. did a like a, a fundraising gig to keep Just a Tonic going yeah and in that time, uh, Johnny Vegas had the sound bite that kept getting played that said that uh, Just Sonic is the, what, the best club in the country. Yeah. He didn't do that fundraiser gig, though. It was Ricky Gervais. And, oh, was it Ricky Gervais? Yeah, it was quite, quite a lot of people, yeah. 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 And, I mean, what what do you think has made your club last as long as it has done? Um, I don't... I can't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> no. And Joe, and Joe there. Joe's, Joe's the reason it's kept alive. Hello, Joe. Isn't it, Joe? Right, just conveniently walking yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to get involved? Yeah. What are you doing? No, don't, don't worry about it. It's just, just, it's just waffle. <laughs> <laughs> it's all lies. I'd love it if someone had listened this far in and went, yeah, it probably is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, well, when I Sorry, start, do you want to explain who Joe is to anyone? Joe works for us. He's worked for you for years. He's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it vague. Yeah. Um, right. come, come to the club and meet Joe. Mm. Ask for Joe. Okay. He's a robot. Ah. <laughs> little in office joke. Um what makes it so what the, the reason that Johnny said that to be honest was um when like I said I started it and I loved it and I would always encourage new talent and things. <clears throat> My club was a Sunday night in a in a in an old style pub, a really big long room and I'd book comedians because I liked them because I liked because I thought it was funny. I never did a gig for a gig thing. So when I was even I was trying to get gigs, I never I made a mistake about two or three years for one, one period I did a gig for a gig thing but I was quite strong that I wouldn't do it for a long time so you only ever got to see decent comedians and um, and I kind of bodged it together I didn't know what I was doing when I started off I kind of just made it up as I went along but when there was a period when I had I suppose I had Vegas comparing and Ross Noble comparing and Kitson comparing and I've, I've looked through some of my old brochures and it's, it's amazing 
at the time they were they were good, but if you look back at it with hindsight, it was like an amazing run of Sunday night gigs. It was quite unbelievable, and and people in Nottingham still talk about how great that was as a gig. And uh, and I think what Johnny meant was I I would I would I put my trust in the talent. I wasn't a clock watcher. If I thought someone was funny, I'd let them go. And like I said, you know, with Eric Lampard, well, Johnny Vegas the same. I, I booked him because I'd seen him, and then when I saw him again, um, I thought he's too good to. I put him as a headline, and when he headlined it, I, I booked him on a bank holiday Sunday, so it was full up because you know there was nothing to do on the Monday, so it was heaving. Then I booked him again after that, and every time he filled up my venue, and I paid him well for it. I didn't just rip him off. I kind of well, thanks for that, mate. He filled up my room, and here's, here's a load of money, and um, and I gave him free reign to do what he wanted, and we had some amazing nights. I gave Ross Noble free reign to do what he wanted, so he could turn up, he could fuck about for as long as he wanted, and loads of people. I just go, well, do what you want. And I never watched the clock, I never told them what they do, I never. I never, if someone didn't do very well, I never had a go at them. You know, I just was, just, I was happy to be there, having a really good laugh, and I, and I would, I'd be out flying every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night until like half nine every night. I basically, I was, I was living it, you know, and I was, I was totally into it. And we would go back up to my house. We would have a lock in sometimes. There was times we were like still in the in the venue at seven in the morning, you know, just wandering out the place, and and we'd come back to my house and we'd have a, it last all night. It was, it was brilliant, and and I think the whole package of the club at the time there was, like, it was just quite anarchic, really. But the whole industry's changed now, and I, you can't book those acts anymore because as soon as anyone gets a sniff of success in comedy now, the agents go television, mock the week, get on that, do a tour, and there's no there's no room left for the independent club promoters. Just have a there used to be a little period where you'd have like a year or two when someone was getting success in television, and you could still book them. They're brilliant because they'd fill your room up, and you'd get a bit of a payback time. You'd have a busy night, and then you know, and then you'd be, go back to your regular nights. And there was, but that's, that's all been taken away because they all go to theatres. All those places that never supported comedy when it was starting up, they'll go, oh, I'll take my show to a theatre. For fuck's sake. You know, I'll take it there, I'll take it, you know. So there's all these all these independent promoters are kind of, it's, it's harder and harder to, to keep it alive now because the, the people that would make the club busy are being taken to theatres. Even, even if you went to a comedy club and did a tour and took 70% of the door, which you would do if you was in a the theatre, they're still not doing it to comedy clubs. They're taking theatres, and that that little night might help independent promoters stay stay afloat. Anyway, what I'm saying is the um, my club was anarchic and it was mental and it was good fun. And when no one was booking Johnny Vegas, I was booking him and giving him free reign to do where he wanted. And that's why to him, maybe he couldn't get in the comedy store and he couldn't get into a lot of places because he was no one could really work out what he was doing. And I would just go to him, go on, do what you want. I'd give him a couple of props and he would rip the piss out of me, the club, everything, and it would have amazing nights. Absolutely amazing nights. He was brilliant in his day. That's why I said it. I think because it was because mm. I was just I was into comedy. I was into comedians. It wasn't all about making money, mm. even though I did make money to yeah. keep keep alive. But you, but I mean, your cl- your club's been around for since ninety four, so twenty uh, one years. Yeah. And I mean, even though it was anarchic and in, 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 in its day, I mean, I'm assuming now. I mean, what what advice would you give to promoters now who who maybe want to have a club that stay you know, off my patch. <laughs> don't do one in Nottingham or Leicester <laughs> now what was that sorry I interrupted you no no just uh, what uh, advice would you give because there's a lot of comedians I know who have started clubs and have had to close them down because they're not you know they're not, they're not either into promoting or they don't think they're very good at promoting or, or they just don't know what they're doing and so it'd be great to know if, if someone if, who's done it if you want, if you want to be a stand up be a stand up don't promote a club I'm not saying that trying to protect myself I'm just saying because what will happen is you'll get You'll get um, not everyone does, but most people will get kind of. You'll either end up with your head being in promoting mode, or you'll be seen as a promoter. And also, you'll find it hard to get gigs because other promoters will do one of your gig for a gig, and that that was a problem I had. I couldn't get in gigs because I go kind of your club. I go no, but I'm book, I'm booking Sean Locke and, and this and that and that. You know, you're booking 
no one's ever heard of. I can't give you a gig for a gig because you, you know, you're not good enough. My club, I'll give you a gig when you're good enough. Well, you can't have a gig with me. And you go, fuck's sake, you know, it was so hard. Anyway, um, the best thing to do if you want to be a stand up, be a stand up and let other people promote stuff. But if you want to promote a gig, then just um, don't assume that people are going to know it's on. <laughs> don't put one poster up, assuming that it's going to go on. Think of everywhere that you can go to promote to tell people. And don't, don't, don't let the fact that you might like someone's personality mean necessarily mean you're going to book them just because they butt you up or something like that. I mean, don't sort of just book your mates or book book people that are going to make it a good solid night, and don't rip off don't rip off the the audience really. And if you can, try and try and get a little bit from the bar to help. Because if you're doing a Sunday night or a Thursday night or a night when it's going to be dead, then uh, sort of maybe negotiate after a, if you can make it work for a bit that you get you can get a quid back or something for every head that comes in the room if you can because that little bit of money will help because the, if the room's going to be empty anyway they might as well give you a little bit towards what you're doing just you know but just do it just do it with passion but but don't kind of and if just because you've been busy for two or three weeks when you're out there flowering don't think the whole town knows about it because they, they f- soon forget and I, I've been doing stuff I was doing stuff well I've been just having not in for 21 years now but I know after t- 10 or 15 years there'd be people I'd bump into oh you're still doing that comedy thing yeah I keep meaning to go <laughs> alright yeah it's only been here 15 years you, 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 you've missed all these amazing people oh you had them yeah I kept telling you but you didn't know who they were at the time well, I'd, love to, I'd love to see them yeah well, you, you have to go to the concert now because they're famous you know you idiots <sighs> and yeah so, so yeah you have to if you're going to promote something you have to work really hard at it and use every means of marketing you can do you think, I mean, because you mentioned that when someone starts to get a bit famous or starts to get a bit of TV exposure, the agents pick them up and then take them on a tour around like art centres or theatres. Is that because, do you, think, do you think the climate for audiences has changed, which means that they want to go and see it there? Or do you think, because obviously there's, there's been a shift in uh, comedians and the way that clubs are run and the, and the things people put on. In particular, like for example, Junglers has a certain market that I think has maybe put off certain... Uh, groups of people that were going to comedy clubs they see it now as a stag and hen yeah. or a work do thing so maybe the reason I mean do you think it's the reason they're going to art centres is to try and start find a new place they can do comedy or do you think it's literally because um, maybe they have more capacity for more people in and it just works out more commercially well, viable well there is the capacity issue but um, but people you know the people were in Nottingham there's people that would take shows to theatres and sell less tickets than they would do if they come to, to my... Well, theatres will have a different audience as well. Theatres got their own... They've got their own mailing list, they've got their own brochures, and there is a different audience there. But... Um, it's, it's, it's probably a mix of... It's a, probably a mixture of all of that, what you just said, really. But um, there is definitely a thing where there's a... It's a kind of almost like a... Some people just want to be seen in theatres rather than... I don't do... Rather than doing comedy clubs. There is a kind of... There, Elitist. Yeah, it's a little bit of snobbery, you know. I'd rather be, you know, I don't do clubs anymore. I just, I want to do art. We want to be doing art. I get that. We want to do arts theatres. And you go, why? They haven't supported you at all, you know. Come back to, come back to the club. I've got an email list with all your fans on. What? We're going to the theatre. We're doing a theatre this year. And you go, God, all right. But it's not, not, every, not everyone. But I, I'm just saying because it, it, it's, it is... It's such a big industry now. There's so much money to be made that, and I, I think London's been affected in a way that the provinces were affected a lot time, a long time before. Whereas, you know, it it became hard as a book rising people probably about ten or fifteen years ago. I'd say in in the where, where I am, because they started sort of doing tours. You know, you save it for we're saving it for a tour. And we always 
we, you might get a warm up but can't do any press because we're saving it for the tour you know we're saving we're saving those he can't come and do some gigs with you because he's going on tour in six months time you're going well those people aren't going to not go to, to see a full show in fact there'll be loads of people who come to the, the gig see him do 20 minutes that we can promote your tour show to it's, it's like a little advert no same with the tour oh god and that, I think that started happening in London more now where people are doing warm ups tour warm ups in, in theatres and you know so you've got Soho Theatre doing warm ups or mm. you know or, I don't know if it's I'm not saying that I'm just making it up but I know that the dynamic in London has changed a bit where and, and, and also I suppose the public there's so much comedy on television the public are aware of who's who now and can go I actually want to see that person I want to see that person and, and you don't need to, need to sort of go to the local comedy club and take a punt on whoever's on because you can find the person that you saw on YouTube two mm. days ago or saw on television you can actually find them somewhere so maybe that maybe that's what it is it, it could also be that because um, like you said there's so much on TV now and all of that's in theatres like you don't I, I very rarely see a comedian performing stand-up in a club on TV um, yeah if they get to a certain level there are still people that, that are doing I'm just thinking of I can't think of a single TV show that I mean Stuart Lee did it a little bit with his with his TV show mm. where he was like I want it to feel like a backroom club type thing, but it still felt. I know once he's got his own series, yeah, they they will go off to the theatres and you, it's yeah. very hard to book a bit. But some of them, uh, there are some that will have a loyalty to a club and will come and do your club for a bit. But in the end, pressures kind of mean they and capacities I suppose mean they go off. Some, why why would Stuart Lee come to Nottingham do me a favour and do my four hundred capacity room when he can do the you can do the theatre royal, do a thousand tickets in that night. You know, you, it gets to a point where you go, I can understand you. You know, you've risen above, above us. Oh, do a warm up with me, please. But you know, you, you get to a point when they're going to go off. You know, you can't hold it onto it forever. But it's it's kind of like the level of the the guest presenters on Mock the Week. The get you know the guest acts, and then they, and sometimes it, they kind of they think it's bigger than they are. And I go off and do so. I can't book there anymore because I'm on. Am I sounding bitter? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, I just think it, it has become. It's become a different thing. Where as soon as you're on television, you kind of you're in a different little realm. I think. Oh, I hope you just edit all this out because I'm not making any sense. I can't even work out what I think now. Well, no, I, I get I get what you mean. I mean, I was chatting to. Uh, I think I can talk about this because I've invited him on to talk about this, so I'm pretty sure he'd be all right with it. I was talking to Nick Helm the other day, and he was saying that um, he did Uncle, you know, that yeah. sitcom. And he said it was awful because people came to his shows expecting. Uncle, oh, right. and he doesn't do that. Yeah. So, although the TV had given him a lot of exposure and brought him to a new audience, it was the worst yeah, audience. Well, Ardlow because... Hanlon had the same as that. Who? Ardlow Hanlon. Okay, because he'd go on and be. Is it Dougal? He was in Father Ted, mm. and that's not his stand-up. It's not at all. So he had suddenly had a different audience coming to see mm. see his show. Yeah, I, I, that makes sense. You know? mm. it's, I think it's why he pitched for. Um, I think it's why he pitched for that uh, I can't thing, yeah, heavy yeah. entertainment or whatever because yeah. that means people can see that that's what he does. Uh, I mean, it didn't translate. Pro- I mean, I, I liked it, but I, I felt like his life stuff's better. But it's a it's a whole other thing where you when you when you see someone on TV, you presume that that's what they do. But you f- I think a lot of the audiences forget that it's a heavily edited, commodified version of a thing to sell adverts in the breaks, rather than what you get in a comedy club where you get you know an actual act act. Yep. I thought you were going to have something to say on that. No, you look like you I'm were. So, I'm so tired. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, no I, I know what you're saying. I do, I do mm. agree with it. Um, I just I prefer live stand up. I don't watch hardly anything on television. I hate watching people on television that I know in panel shows. I kind of I, I just switch it off. I, I don't. I can't stand watching people that I know 
often using routines that are in stand-up, dropping them into conversations. I, I just can't stand that the whole panel show thing. I hate it. I, I just think it's a real waste of the talent. <clears throat> I think it's... A, um, I always... When I started off, I always had this idea that it would be amazing to get all the pool of... A massive pool of UK stand-up comedians and have a similar thing to... Not in the same vein as, but how carry-on films used to be, where everyone would muck in and make films based around their personalities of a, a lot of characters doing stuff not like Carry On but in the, in the way that all mm. those things used to work together but I can't see it ever happening because it's just it's too all, all divided by agents and, and mm. different careers and stuff like that and all I see instead is people loads of people doing panel shows I'm interested um, so uh, you, you don't like panel shows you don't like I'm not saying I don't like I don't watch them it's not something I watch but I think it's because it's like a busman's holiday for me I just don't I don't I don't watch. I don't watch. Them. I was with my son actually, and I, I, I like. I really like Russell Howard live. I never. I'd only watch uh, Russell Howard's Good News a couple of times because I'm, I don't. I suppose I don't really watch much television really. But I was with my son. who's told me that day, oh, Russell Howard's my favourite comedian. So I sat and watched Russell, and he, he was brilliant. He's really good at what he does. I love what Russell. It's a really nice program. But I just realised then, I don't watch any of this. I don't. I don't watch any television in terms. Of, so for me to say I don't like panel shows, I'm just not interested in them really. I'm just. Just it's, it's, it's. I just see loads of people sort of doing one-upmanship and topping each other, and I don't know. I don't. I don't see that those people there are great stand-ups, and I don't see them doing great stand-up on these panel shows. But it's an advert for themselves. They are just adverts for themselves. Mm-hmm. Then go off and do tour, I suppose. So, so if someone contacts you for a gig, is it adventorial? So adventorial, advantageous. Advantageous. Let's do it again. <laughs> is it advantageous, or that's going to be fun to edit? Is it advantageous for them to mention they've done TV, or is that going to like work against them because you think? Oh no, no. Oh okay. No, I'm not a dickhead. <laughs> no, 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 no just, I, mean, I won't go. Oh, you've done television. What booking you? No, I just mm. it doesn't separate. I'm just saying. S- send a clip of live work rather than TV work. I'm 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 more likely to go and can you tell me who thinks you're funny? So so in an email, record rec- say yeah. this, who, who this promoter yeah, who, or, rec- who promote and, and um or what comedians and and there are certain comedians I know won't tell me that someone's good unless they are good you, you kind of learn from, from recommendations of, oh, he just, just told me because he's, he's, he's his mate hmm. he wasn't very good but there's, 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 there's a lot of things going in who I book and who I don't there's like, I can't say it's this and that there's, hmm. it's a very sort of um, ever changing kind of thing really I don't really know yeah but saying to me you've been on a television show well, it's not going to put me off I'm just saying that I'm, as a fan of comedy I love comedy but I've got surprising little knowledge of what's, what goes on television because right. because I never think it. I never think it really ever does justice to the people that I know as live performers, and like when Phil K did his, his live show, I hated it. Ginger and the Geek sketch, I didn't like that on there, and you know, and and I sit and watch people that I think are great comedians, like I said, on a panel show, and I don't think it. But but it's a way for them to get earn some money, and I I can understand it. You know, I'm not critical of it, but I just I, don't, I choose not to watch them really. Pre pre TV comedy, how were acts? creating their own audience then or, or building a following like were they just doing your clubs and then like you were you were giving them the contact details of people that were signing up like you said to your mailing list or like how how um, would you find that's happening well um, say like say like Ross Noble in Nottingham or Daniel Kitson is probably the best example and Johnny Vegas they, well they do they, they come to do a gig they'll do so well that all them people would say I saw someone last night blah 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 blah, blah. I was on again soon and they would bring their friends, and they would bring their friends, and they would, and it just builds up as an organic, it's just an organic, natural, you know, cream rising to the top because because they're good, you know, and that's, 
and that's how it that's how it happened. And then those people would eventually either come up here and win an award, you know, or they would get a bit on television. But there was a natural growth of an audience for people. So Daniel Kitson's got a natural growth of audience. He can just do an email out and sell out everything that he ever does without any effort. You know, Ross Noble's probably had that for a few years. But mm. it's just a natural it's a natural audience. Like just like a band would get, you know. Mm. It's no different. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, well, who are your favourite comedians? Um, for live performance and general brilliance, Johnny Vegas in his prime time, 97 to 2000, I'd say. Um, for scripted, I've thought about this quite a few, for scripted stand-up and for just for, for just pure scripted stand-up, I'd say Sean Locke. And, but then again, I don't know who's about... At the minute, you know, I've, I've, these are people from my sort of memory, but there's probably people just as good. But these are the people that stand out from my. I suppose I'm an old hand, and for and Phil K when he was his prime, it was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. He was someone that I. He was he was always what I would love to have been when he was amazing. He was how I'd love to be. He could just go on and just make stuff up and be an absolute idiot. And he was he was so intelligent, so quick. So there's probably others as well, but that's that's my short shrift answer of. Um, Sean Lock, I, I I worked with Sean, I think in '96 or '97. I was flying flying a show. I was working for Avalon up here, and I just come up as a young you know young man who wanted to get get a bit more involved. And and I, I went to see a, a preview of his show in London, and I loved it. When I got up here, I just flogged. He's told me since then that I filled his I filled his room because I would just be so passionate about it. I just fly in. You got to see this. I, I talk people into going to this show. And he's full up nearly every day, and he's in his first year, and he's, he's a Pleasance upstairs with a hundred capacity room, and um, and on the last night he taped it, and uh, and he says on that tape that all he can hear laughing is me who I'd seen it twenty eight times laughing my head off, and Phil Cave sort of sat next to me, both just creasing up laughing more than anybody else. <clears throat> That's how funny I found him at the time. He had this, this amazing sketch. I always remember how stupid it was, and he would just it was based on the Chicken Tonight advert I feel like Chicken Tonight and he just he hammed it up so much it was about how he'd gone for a he, he wanted to be an actor he always thought he'd be a great actor he went for a job he went for the job interview to do this Chicken Tonight thing he was gutted because he didn't get it he said but you know but when I saw that bloke god he loves chicken yeah. you know and then he, then he acted the whole thing out and it was such a long sketch he, he saw he, he's trimmed it down by the end of the, the run which is, to me was disappointing because when I saw it raw it was proper you know just crying laughing mm. it was amazing he was, he's, he was, he's such a good stand-up mm. he's, he's such, such a brilliant stand-up so clever anyway um, and if you had one bit of I'm going to split this question but if yeah. you had one bit of advice for a performer looking at getting into Just the Tonic uh, clubs uh, and like progressing through what would that be and if you had one bit of advice for someone who was looking at setting up their own clubs what would that be um, to get into Just the Tonic um, get Joe to see you at the Big Value Comedy Auditions and get some yeah and that's because basically we go for that. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to judge someone by putting them on a Saturday night club in front of what could be a hostile audience. It's quite a big room. It's not a natural environment to do a five minutes. It can be. It's a bit too intimidating. And, and it's best to do it in a in a different thing, and you can get seen in a in a, in a better better light, really. Um, and Joe's good at doing that. And um, and for starting up a club. Um, Make sure there's enough people in your town to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't book crap, basically. <laughs> make sure, make sure, make sure you don't just put one good act on and loads of crap on. Make sure that if someone's not good, you only let them do five minutes, so that you get the best out of them. You know, don't don't book someone that could be like a five minute, get them to do fifteen minutes because you save a bit of money. Just make sure the audience 
go away thinking <clears throat> that was a good night because then they'll come back. If they go away going, oh, the, the, it was shit until the last plate was on. Or if you're comparing it yourself, you're not good enough. Make sh- Don't do it so that the audience want to come back. So you haven't got to go and keep getting in your audience. Every, every, you know, no, not many people are going to come back every week or every month. Not many people are, but they might come back in two months or three weeks from that. But don't put them off. To make sure that what you put on is a good, is a good show, and or a good show for value for money, for <coughs> value for money, <coughs> because the best way to sell a show is word of mouth. It's about how many posters you put up. If everybody in the town's been to it, it's shit. They're not going to come again. Mm. So, that's what I'd say. Um, oh, yeah, you book me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for coming. All right. Cheers. That was Daryl. I had a lot of fun talking to him. I have a special thank you to tell him publicly on here, but I've also told him it privately in person. Thank you so much for working with Freest of All and for giving me a home for my show this year. And I just can't thank you enough. Um, I had a lot of fun at Just the Tonic this year, and um, I think they're definitely worth looking into for next year. And if you are looking at doing the festival, he's definitely worth contacting. Um, if you think you have an hour show and you think it is worth him looking into he's definitely worth talking to Um, like we discussed in there there are different levels and different platforms for different people depending on what you're doing and where you're at level wise so obviously don't try and jump the gun too soon if you are doing your first year in Edinburgh up there but who am I to say it's your career very quickly ways you can support the podcast again please do rate the podcast in iTunes it really helps out the show, it means a lot to me, and I read all of them. So uh, please do that, that would be amazing. We've got 34 reviews, I'd love to get it over 40. Just review it. Uh, you can also donate on the website via PayPal. This show doesn't have any sponsorship, and I want to keep it that way. We keep the adverts out of it, um, so that I can just give you the content that I think you know and love. So if you would like to keep it that way, and you'd like to keep it ad-free, please consider donating. It would be amazing. Just Put a monetary value on this. If you think this episode is worth a pound, send me a pound. If you think it's worth a fiver, give me a fiver. Whatever you think these are worth, um, that'd be amazing. If you uh, want to do it on an ongoing basis, that'd be even more helpful. You can do it on patreon.com. Uh, the website is uh, p p a t r e o n dot com forward slash ask the industry podcast. It's essentially uh, a platform where you can donate or it's a place to donate a certain amount per episode. You don't pay when I don't put up an episode it's not like a monthly charge you only pay when I put up an episode I put up three a month it will cost you a minimum of a dollar to do this it will cost you two pound forty in total for the month and I pay the conversion charge so it's nothing on you so yeah please do that it gives me a budget for each show it really helps out and it just keeps me motivated because it means that I know how many people are really invested in the show and how many people really want to listen to the next episode because I'm imagining that patrons are definitely listening to each episode at minimum. So, yeah, please do that if you can spare a dollar an episode. A dollar's not that much. Let's do this. A dollar would be great. And uh, also, if you enjoyed it and you think someone else would enjoy this, please share it. Sharing is caring, and it would really be great if we could work as a unit to spread the love and spread the word about this podcast. So if you have time and you have a moment, just share it. If you know me somewhere on Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, tag me in it so I can thank you for sharing it. That'd be amazing. I thank everyone for doing that, so please do tag me. I I keep an eye out for stuff as well, but it's easier if you tag me and stuff. And yeah. Also, join the Facebook group. The Facebook group is on Facebook, obviously, and it is called Ask the Industry Podcast. It's a private group simply to keep spammers out. Just apply to join, and I accept everyone after I've done a little bit of a background check to make sure you're not a, I don't think you're a spam account or whatever. 
but yeah it's worth joining because i post in there when i'm gonna have new guests and i talk about uh you know when you so a f- two days before every guest comes on i put a post out and say hey what questions would you like to ask this guest and i put those to the guests as well uh, if you're a patron your questions get prioritized because you are backing the pod um but everyone's question get asked if they don't answer i sometimes edit them out or i sometimes leave them in if i think it was interesting that they didn't have an answer for it depends on how it goes so yeah uh that's about all for now thank you very much for listening thank you very much for donating thank you very much for sharing see you next time bye